Hi, we're two non-doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We have a podcast. I don't know how we got it. Well, we're comedians. We stopped getting actual stage time, so we turned to the internet. We Um, have a lot of questions about health. We talk about what we want to know more about, and then we ask our fans to tell us if we're right. And we're very rarely right. We're never right. We've been learning a lot through Google. Our first episode is about Maria having misophonia, to me discussing dyslexia, stuff that people feel like they know a little bit about and want to know more about, to us discovering stuff neither of us knew much about like ASMR. My mom's on the show. My mom is a veterinarian. I'm pretty sure she's going to replace us at some point. We are on the Unpops Network. They saw our potential and was like, we think someday you guys will actually have value. (laughs) Which is an unpopular opinion. (laughs) Do not doctors. Don't Don't listen to us. (laughs) Seriously, guys, we don't know what we're talking about. El futuro tiene nada más que la confrontación. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I used to write a bunch of weekly columns for a bunch of internet places. I would use those columns to put forth all sorts of crazy opinions. Then, I'd come on this show to defend those opinions. But now, I just do drugs. Joining me today, she is one-third of the trio who hosts the Facial Recognition Comedy Podcast, Oh, and she's also my co-host on Conspiracy the Show sometimes. Ladies and gentlemen, Fizza Dasani. Also joining me, it's in moments like this that I really regret making the intro to this podcast a thing that I have to say every single week because it like Jeff, he's my co-host and he's got like he's gonna he's obviously gonna plug all his stuff at the end of the podcast. He always does that. So that doesn't leave me much to say. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff May. It's going to be a great show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Jeff, stop doing that. Stop doing what? I'm not doing anything. Well, we're on a Zoom call and people can't see what you're doing. Stop it. I'm literally just waiting to record. You're mouthing my words when I talk. I'm it's not rude. It's rude. Wow. You want to introduce the show or do you just want to make up lies about me? Hey, who are you? Introduce yourself. It's, it's it. me. It's me. Jeff May. Life is great. Isn't it? Yeah. Life's it, it is. It sure is. Life is. Yeah. Life is wonderful. Everything's you all know, right. Toots. You, you know who's wonderful? Our guest. Our guest. Oh, oh hey. Hey, it's Fizza Dasani. Hey, I'm Fizza Dasani. I was just waiting. I was waiting. Waiting for us to stop bickering so you yeah. can be introduced. It was like waiting for Godot, but Godot came. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> right. All over these titties. <laughs> You're so beautiful. Godot surprises stepmom. Fizza is, among other life accomplishments, one of my co-hosts on Conspiracy the Show, which arguably probably the biggest accomplishment I would think i mean i would hope in this context yeah (laughs) i mean i'm not president yet but maybe that's because i i use too much critical thinking yeah you gotta you gotta read a self-help book we're gonna talk about that (laughs) speaking of that we are on this week's conspiracy the show fizza and i are way way expanding on something that we're talking about this week which is the mary trump book but we're not talking only about that on this episode this episode is about the three books that explain donald trump and i think you can do it in three books it gives you a well-rounded explanation of why he sort of how he became who he is right now yeah president (laughs) i mean that's one of the things but i mean he's he's a lot of things is one of these just like the clan welcome pamphlet Oh, I think that's definitely a a piece of literature that does reveal more about Donald Trump, but I don't think it's one of the necessary readings. I would, if we were going to go in that direction, the book I would have gone with was Hitler's second book, which was just a collection of his speeches. And Donald Trump basically admitted in a Vanity Fair article in 1993 that he kept that book at his bedside for years. I remember we were talking about that like in 2016 on an episode of Unpops. That came out before he or was 20, elected. Or 2015 were, even, yeah. 
Yeah, people were still like, oh, that's fine. Question. Is the Trump family, are they of German descent? They sure are. Oh, okay. What were their political affiliations <laughs> during World War II? I mean, that I don't know. By that time, they were here, at least the, the main Trump family. But Does not uh, change the answer. Yeah, I'm like, it, they don't go into detail. Like in the, the Mary Trump book, they don't go into detail about it. Yeah, well, I guess Nazi the Nazi party wasn't an official party here in the U.S., so you couldn't There really... was an American Nazi party, but they weren't, like, on the ballot. Yeah. yeah. But they were, they were, like, a real-ass thing. They did have a pretty big following, though. It's very unsettling if you go back and look at it. It's very emblematic of America. You know, it's unsettling, but it's mostly unsettling because it actually flips a mirror on society. Yeah, it's kind of where we were headed this whole time, I think, is fascism. Yes, we're headed. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're kind yeah. of here now. but I mean, we, it's a long journey. It really is. And it, it in retrospect, it seems like everything that's happened in history was just building up to this moment. Yeah, when I saw that movie Idiocracy, you know, you see that. that when did that come out? Like early 2000s? Yeah, 2005 or something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, so I, you know, I was much younger and I watched that movie and, you know, you're like, that can't happen. But it it did. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's based off of what a Confederacy of Dunces, which is a book from much earlier, right? Like a century ago or something. I don't remember when that book is written. I'm really dumb and especially about books. <laughs> um, I know that uh, Idiocracy was uh, 2006. Um, and a confederacy of dunces was a novel written in oh 1980. Yeah, I was going to say it's like 70s or 80s. Well, I, I waited I'm... to say that because I didn't want to stick my neck out and be wrong. So it feels like it's been a century since 1980. So it sure does. I was alive back then. Jesus, I was almost alive back then. <laughs> I have, I have grays in my baby hair. <laughs> So the first book I want to talk about is a real humdinger of a book. It came out in 1910. It's called right. The Science of Getting Rich. Came by, out right with a Confederacy of Dunces. It's written by a guy named Wallace D. Waddles, which with a name like that, you almost shouldn't be allowed to be a self-help guy. <laughs> That's That yeah, sounds... You should be able to help yourself first, right? Yeah. Like put on your own mask in the airplane before you tell someone else how to put theirs on. <laughs> Wallace D. Waddles sounds like the name of like a fat Monopoly guy that's an extra in a movie about the wealthy. <laughs> I'm Wallace D. Waddles. And this book kind of sounds like it was written by that kind of character, too. Yeah. It's uh, I think this is basically rich people's secret Bible. If not this, then some version of it the universe brought this book to me because me and caitlin cut just did an episode of pretty scary about the secret and the origins of the secret which is one of the biggest selling self-help books of all time that shit sold 30 million copies there is a movie that just came out this year that is based on the secret and there was one that came out a little while ago right that was a documentary based on the book this is a basically romantic drama starring Katie Holmes and Josh Lucas, and it's the worst goddamn movie I've ever seen. Katie Holmes and Josh Lucas, man. I bet 15 years ago, if you told them they were in this movie, they'd be like, shut the fuck up. And it's like, no, 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 it's going to be bad. Yeah, I want. they have to all be like the secret people. Like, yeah, like I wonder if they manifested this movie for themselves <laughs> and just didn't get specific enough. Yeah. I like both of them. Yeah, I like them both, too. And whoever manifested this movie, I think Fizza is right. They left out the make it good part. Yeah, it's like a real monkey's paw version of The Secret where you, yeah. you, know, you wish for something and then it comes out and you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean like this. And yeah. The Science of Getting Rich is the book that basically inspired The Secret. If you read the woman who wrote The Secret, if you read her biography, her name's Rhonda Byrne, she says right in the book, that she was going through a rough time and her daughter gave her a copy of The Science of Getting Rich. And that is what inspired her to write The Secret. And there have been a lot of books based on The Science of Getting Rich throughout history. But I think the one reason that this one is the best, it's only 67 pages, baby. 
the beliefs expressed in this book aren't super novel. It's sort of like the power of positive thinking. You get what you focus on, etc. But it's sort of like you're giving these life hacks to sociopaths. It, it's like um, the capitalism version, cap, the capitalist version of like Confucianism, which is like a very practical and pragmatic existence. It's not designed necessarily to be a religion, but it's designed to be a way of life. And it's like, all right, we'll add that to capitalism. And what do we have? Yeah, this is, I, I think, one of the first, if not the first book that pushed those ideas of yeah. visualization and just be confident. Whatever you want is going to happen. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is it's, you know, it's possible to focus on what you want and not have callous disregard for the reality around you also. Right. And that is another thing I like about this version. It's written so plainly and so to the point that it's really easy to see how a belief system like this could go really, really wrong. Yeah. And this isn't a poet writing this this is no. a very frank like this is a guy yelling at you at the bus stop about how to get rich yeah <laughs> and i mean it's it's like any other self-help book or even like the bible or any religious text there is a lot of fairly sound advice in there and things that if you work them into your life it could be beneficial but also there's a lot of stuff in there that if you take it to an extreme, it's going to be bad. There's something about this book that is very funny to me, and uh, I'm sure we're going to get deeper into that. But there is a level of spirituality that is a very 1910 level of it where they talk about th there's this whole sort of underlying current about like that God wants you to be kind of a selfish asshole because God wants you to be the supreme version of you. But then it gets out of control and you're like, okay, I get it. It's, you know, you were religious at the time and you're trying to justify being a piece of shit. But then later and it's like, and also, hey, you don't want to bother with ghosts because they're too busy to mess with getting you rich. They've got their own shit to do. He literally says that ghosts are too busy to help you get rich. Yes. That is an actual <laughs> thing he says in this fucking book. And I was just like... You know, I'm kind of listening to it and being like, all right, I, I get where you're going with this. And then this came out and I'm like, the fuck did you just say? So maybe bananas. That's yeah, that's interesting because maybe at the time that was a popular belief because now it's like I don't think that would be in the book he wrote today. You don't think so? I mean, maybe you don't, you don't think ghosts are too busy to get you rich isn't going to be something in a self-help book. I mean, I think he was dealing with a lot of emotionally unavailable ghosts. Yeah, yeah. It's really okay. selfish capitalist ghosts <laughs> focused you know on I themselves think, i think they might have written the book and he just took credit for it yeah who are you gonna call ghosts <laughs> <laughs> is that is that yeah. a thing that it is definitely a book of its time uh on top of the all the talk about ghosts and how you should ignore them there's also a lot of talk about farms and how if you want to be rich, maybe you should get into farming because that that's one way to do it. Classic money-making scheme. Yeah, especially now. Also, get into the coal-powered train business because steam engines are falling out of favor. It's very specific, and this was good advice where he's just like, don't even bother with steam engines. People already got in there. There's a lot on the coal engines, and then this tiny, like, one sentence, or it's like, or maybe air air travel. Yeah. Like, it just says, or, you know, maybe planes, but, like, really focus on the coal trains. And it's, like, this very specific, like, oh, no, you had, a, you had a big thing right there. You had a massive thing. Yeah. But that's also a thing you're going to see in any, again, any self-help book, any religious text, like the Bible, the, the things that are in the Bible are fucking insane. A lot of them, like no one's killing their neighbor because they see him working on Saturday. Like, uh, it depends <laughs> on if there is a leaf blower involved and if it's before 8 a.m. Yeah, that's a good point. Which I think the Bible covers. I think there's that that one exception. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, that's OK. I'm sorry. I was raised Muslim. I was raised Muslim. I'm not familiar <laughs> enough with the Bible. Bible. Disregard. So the thing about this book, we've we've touched on it a little bit so far, but it really does kind of suggest that you need to be a self-centered, callous dick to succeed. And it sometimes contradicts itself in that way. Like at one point, it talks about how, look, don't even read news about poor people. Don't fucking associate with poor people. Don't listen to stories about poor people. Don't even think about poverty 
The way you help poor people is to get rich. And then later in the book, it says, don't fuck with charity. Don't think about charity. Don't give your money to anyone. The The way you help those people is by you getting rich, and then they'll follow your lead, and they'll get rich. That, there's a real eyes on the prize aspect to this book, like which is the whole thing. And look, here's the thing. If you want to get rich, if that's important to you, like being this piece of shit will help. Absolutely. It will absolutely help. Well, uh, ruthlessness is yeah. like you don't have the the burden of a conscience. Greed is good. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing is this particular book actually kind of addresses that and is like, now we're not saying be evil, like don't hurt people, like what you do should benefit, <laughs> like your interactions with people should benefit them as much as they benefit you. But it's uh, like any other thing where over the years people are going to twist it and take it to mean what they want it to mean and incorporate it in whatever way they want to. It, it does. It says don't hurt people, but it also doesn't. It says it says out loud actively don't help people. Mm. So right. like I understand that you're not hurting somebody, but like if you see someone drowning and they're like, don't do that. You won't get rich by saving that drowning person. Well, that's evil. Right. And you might get rich saving the drowning person. I mean. Maybe that dude's rich. Yeah, we've all seen fairy tales. We all know how this works. You know, that that, that frog was a prince. That drowning the, guy was a millionaire. The thing about it is the other way I think it applies to Trump. Well, I mean, I know it applies to Trump. We just haven't gotten to the second book yet. But it is really high on the idea that whatever you want to be, just tell people you're already that. And always be very positive about it. Fake you it till you make it. You see that with Trump. Like, you see that with his response to coronavirus, where he's clearly botched this in a way that has resulted in more deaths than, like, all the wars we've had combined, except the world wars. And, like, if you ask him how he feels like his response has been, he'll be like, great. It's been great. It's been perfect. Everything about it has been great. Like, He's always very upbeat about his own performance. And that's how he built his entire career is projecting this image of one thing, which was successful businessman, when the entire way he was anything but. Like he went bankrupt a bunch of times. When he finally took over his dad's business, he kind of fucked that up. But because he had this image of himself and his dad bought into it, it created what Donald Trump's personality is today. Did I ever tell you about the pyramid scheme that I was brought to for for video phones? Uh, that story where Donald Trump was like the big celebrity endorser and he was like, I'm going to use these on The Apprentice. And it was <laughs> uh, like after smartphones existed. It was like in a post Skype world. Yeah. I was one of the my co-teachers tried to invited us all to like a cookout and then tried selling us on the fucking video phone thing and i was like oh no this is gonna fail horribly like you guys have invested so much money in this and it's gonna be very bad yeah he got sued for that and as part of that lawsuit he had to turn over a bunch of behind the scenes footage from the apprentice so people are hoping they're gonna find like him saying the n-word in that like, as if that's gonna help by this point yeah he could say it at the republican national convention and people would be like finally someone had the nerve to say it yeah. His base is so loyal. He knew exactly who to court, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're loyal to that word, too. Yeah. So the argument against every book like this has always been it. it's basically leading you toward being a self-absorbed, kind of politically apathetic narcissist, basically. Yeah, I think there's the, there is practical advice in, you know, focusing on the positive and focusing on the solution. But he takes it to another level to a point where it's at the expense of others. This book creates people that are non-entities. They're, they are, they crush whatever gets in the way in order to get wealthy. And if wealth is your ultimate desire, um, first off, if your goal is to get rich with your life, like you're probably a piece of shit already. Like if, if you've been so warped to believe that that is what a person should aspire to is wealth, you're, you've already sort of started to check out. So this is going to harness that awful attitude and behavior. The other way this applies directly to Trump is his dad. I mentioned that Fizza and I have an episode of Conspiracy, the show that goes up 
tomorrow, provided you're listening to this the day it comes out, which you fucking should be. And in that episode, we talk about the second book that I want to talk about right now, which is Too Much and Never Enough by Mary Trump. And Good old Mary. This book is fucking crazy. And one of the things we didn't mention when we covered it on Conspiracy the Show is how much Fred Trump, Donald Trump's dad, bought into the teachings of books like The Science of Getting Rich. In his case, it was The Power of Positive Thinking, which came out closer to the 1950s. But same ideas. That title really had an adverse reaction. Yeah, this book, it's more, Fizzy, you've read it, it's more a, yeah. a biography of Fred Trump than anything. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really it focuses on that generation because Fred was was the guy who created Donald. He built Donald. He's just kind of responsible for the monster and all the dysfunction in that family, which there was a lot of. Yeah. And what Jeff just said about books like this creating a non-entity, that's what Fred Trump was. There's a quote in the third book we're going to talk about from a receptionist who worked for Trump enterprises or something in the 80s and she described fred trump as a machine he had no feelings he was completely focused on his one goal which was getting rich anyone who got in the way of that would be fucking crushed and he demanded just absolute loyalty from everyone and any deviation from any of that and he was fucking done with you he's like ellen (laughs) kinda like this book If you read it, his like he basically read the power of positive thinking at a point where he was already basically rich and already accomplishing all his goals and already kind of the asshole he was. And then he reads this book and he's like, oh, yeah, I've been right to be an asshole this whole time. Like, this is what I have to do to get more. Yeah, that that comes with like anytime somebody like is like a landlord, like whenever they're like, that's how I want to make money being a landlord, like instinctively, that should make you feel bad. Like as a regular human with a base point, like if you want to be like, well, you know how I want to make money is by charging people extra money to try to live like you're automatically at this sort of level where you're like, "Eh, I don't feel good about this. But you've lost that sort of slimy feeling on it and it just feels natural to have that passive income yeah and he was a shitty landlord he was a problem they tell a story in that book about how some family one of the families living in one of his buildings their heat went out and they kept calling and calling and calling to try and get it fixed and he was like whatever we'll fix it whenever we want and then he finally goes over to their house personally and walks in and takes his coat off and rolls his sleeves up and goes it's it's not cold in here it's it's fine what do you talk like i'm not cold so why should you be cold again I completely denying reality he they never took a sick day that guy fred trump never took a sick day probably right. got a lot of people sick doing that yeah uh, never took a sick day and was never really sick like they they point that out in the book just he never really had any problems seems like he was a demon he was something else it's it's a really enlightening book like it really will explain why trump became the way he did what i love so much about the book is that we get a really unique perspective because mary trump was exposed to this guy from a very young age and now she's a psychologist a clinical psychologist so we get a perspective of someone who's educated in the field plus has been around this man intimately so it's unique yeah and Basically, what Fred Trump did is when he read The Power of Positive Thinking, that just became his belief system. And he lived his life according to the idea that if the person you're interacting with can't help you, fuck them. Like, they they don't matter. And he imposed that on his kids. Like, most of his kids, he just never gave a shit about. Like they they had money, but I also I also assume his interpretation of the power of positive thinking is perverted by his needs. And, you know, he's able to just use that he can he's found evidence in that to justify his stuff, whether it, you know, is rationally justified or not. Harnessing good for evil. Yeah. Yeah. What he did was basically cherry pick the parts that he liked, which were all you need to be a success is a whole lot of self-confidence. And people who don't succeed have inferiority complexes and they are weak. And their only problem is they don't have the willpower to succeed. And he saw weakness as the biggest sin 
possible as a result of that. And he fucking destroyed one of his kids' lives for no other reason than that kid, Freddie Trump, who is one of Trump's older brothers, I think his only older brother. Yeah, his only older brother, um, second oldest child um, of Fred Trump. Right. This this family reads like a feudalist family. Read like, well, the first son was going to inherit the manor, but of course he was proven to be weak and cast off. It's exactly that. Yeah. yeah, where the children are property. They're an extension. I mean, that's what you see with with people who are narcissists is their children are an extension of themselves. Their, ten- their children are to benefit their vision. Yeah, the, the concept of primogeniture is, is really stupid, like passing everything down to the firstborn son. So it's like, well, that's... There's no there's no science to that. Like there's no there's no aspect that makes this a better decision to give it to the guy who's slightly older. And see the the thinking behind Fred Trump's actions were that there kind of was science behind it because he through the power of positive thinking can shape his future and shape his destiny and shape the world around him. And he was grooming this older son to be his second in command at Trump management and the son fucking hated working for him because he was a micromanaging nightmare and the son eventually quit and goes to be a pilot at TWA and that disrupted Fred Trump's whole idea that he was in control of everything in his life so from that point on he was like you're weak I don't respect you and he made that really really clear to that kid the rest of his life until he died at 42 of a heart attack they say it was a result of alcoholism, his heart failure. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's, it, it, is, it is super sad because Freddie, Fred's oldest son, um, really seemed to want to have autonomy and be, in, be his own person and had a set of values that that sociopath, that non-sociopaths could relate to. So it's just... His wanting to be his own person was so offensive to Fred Trump and so disruptive to the idea that he controls everything, that he's essentially like a god figure, like an apex predator. Yeah. And when that all happened, he focused on Donald next. And there was a seven year age gap between Freddie and Donald. So Donald saw all of these things happen to his older brother and was like, well, basically to survive. I have to become that person that dad wanted Freddie to be. And he did that. He, oh, like, he sure did. Fred Trump would use the word killer all the time. He wanted a killer. And what he really wanted was someone with more charisma and speaking ability than him. Because he wanted to build his empire, but he knew because English was his second language. He like That's why he read The Power of Positive Thinking, is he was trying to build his confidence even though he already had tons of confidence, he wanted like public figure confidence. And the only reason he started to favor Donald was because he saw that Donald had that. And he knew that he could still run the business from behind the scenes and have Donald be the face of it. And it like gave Fred Trump what he felt he was missing in life. And Donald Trump recognized that and fucking ran with it. Fred needed that like a born in America confidence. That one that we're all, you're instilled in when you're born here, and you're like, I can do anything. I'm an American. And he did not have that going in. No. And it's also worth mentioning, he he was probably a sociopath, Fred Trump. Like a high-functioning mi- sociopath. Bare minimum. Yeah. Like, when I say he favored Donald, he, he was so blatant and harsh about it as compared to the other kids. Like, at one point, Freddie comes back and is working for Trump management, and he, in his mind, is on his way to being that second-in-command his dad wanted him to be. And then the second Donald gets out of college, he makes Donald Trump the president of Trump management. So immediately makes him his brother's boss. And, like, the speculation is he just did that to fuck that kid who got in the way of his dream at one point. It's really crazy. Donald joined in with his father on the humiliation of Freddie. He saw Freddie being humiliated, therefore came to the conclusion that Freddie is weak and joined in because he's a killer. He wanted to be a killer. He wanted to be a shark. 
and you see him inherit that. And there's the story of where he showed up to his kid's dorm to take him to a Yankee game. And the kid was wearing like sweats or some shit. And he slapped the shit out of him. He's like, go put on a suit. And he slapped his own kid in front of his friends. And it's like, yeah, oh, Fred? that's a fucking, you learn, where'd you Fred? learn that one? You said no, Fred Donald. slapped his kids? No, so Donald, Donald did. He, Donald did that. Yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. It was Don Jr. I think, right? It's one of them. Yeah. Or Eric. Could have been any yeah, slappable faces. Yeah, slap them all. <laughs> so he also, one of the things Fred Trump did is when he got home from work, he wanted to be left alone. So he instilled this idea in his kids that if you need love or emotional support or anything like that, that's just a sign of weakness. And you can't be weak, so don't fucking come to me looking for love. And like that's going to affect kids in all sorts of different ways and it turned donald into a bully basically and fred trump instead of doing the parent thing and being like hey you're kind of being an asshole to the people around you he really embraced that side of donald trump and encouraged it because he knew when he was ready to go out into the real estate market that shit like that would only help yeah being if you're gonna make money off of real estate you can't be an altruist. There's no altruism in real estate, like at all. If you ever meet somebody and they're in commercial real estate, fucking run. Like I've always, like anytime somebody, like if a friend is like, oh, I'm dating this person. Oh, what do they do? Well, they're in commercial real estate. I'm like, oh, this is not going to go well at all. Sorry for any of you in commercial real estate, but kind of fuck you, I guess. (laughs) Well, like look at the qualities of a lot of the men and they are male. A lot of most sociopaths are male. I'd say about 75%. But wow. If you if you look at who makes up the richest people, the billionaires, I mean, if you look at the personality and characteristic traits, I'm sure a lot of them would line up with antisocial personality disorder, which is sociopathy at its worst. Yeah, I think even someone or like sociopathy Steve, is that at its worst. I think even someone like Steve Jobs probably falls into that. Like we all had like this public image of Steve Jobs as being some sort of fucking good guy. And he is is one of history's biggest fucking monsters. He just happened to be in charge of Apple when they made the fucking iPod and the iPhone. So people revere him. But he was human trash. I think Steve Wozniak is really the guy that came out of that era of tech not being a complete piece of shit i think pretty much everybody else other than wozniak was just a fucking monster yeah and those are the household names those are the people that america reveres and and worships and honors well i mean when you look at people like that like trump it really is because he does what they can't do but they want to be able to do they want to get rich and be an asshole and get away with it that's like a huge thing. How many fucking memes do you see people from your high school share where they're just like, you call me an asshole like it's a bad thing. <laughs> you're like, just fucking die. Yeah. I don't know the last time I saw a friend from high school on social media. I just, I am almost completely cut off from social media and it's so nice. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to consider oh. it. Oh, it feels so good. It will change your fucking life. I was a lot happier when I didn't do social media, and now like I feel like I have to do it just because I can't go anywhere. And also, it's <laughs> it's a good tool. It's a good tool, but it's it there is a toll, an emotional and psychological toll that I experience every time I sign on to any one of those apps. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm especially like if you're if you find yourself like in a dark place already, and then you go for it, and you're just like, this is not helping. This is not helping at all. Yeah, dude, the cup's got to run it over before you before you enter into that situation. Like, if I'm feeling depleted, yeah. like, I need to stay the fuck off IG. Got to build up an immunity. Yeah. Well, one of the things, uh, I did an episode about Facebook a couple of years ago. A lot of the patents they apply for are patents that tell them what you were doing right before you logged on Facebook. And it's shit like, how much pressure did they use when they sent that text message before they logged on? If you were really typing hard, they're like, they're angry. Let's show them something that's going to make them angrier so they'll stay on Facebook. Like, they actively manipulate your emotions in a really gross way that no matter what perceived benefit you're getting from it, it is far outweighed by the damage it's doing. Well, it's manipulating people. You're manipulating people against, I mean, they don't even know. Yeah, that's, that's Facebook's business model is manipulating your emotions. That's why I quit using it fucking years ago.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We started to talk about Trump's followers briefly there, and that makes for a good segue into the third book I want to talk about, which is called Authoritarian Nightmare by John Dean and Bob Altemeyer. And if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you've heard the name Bob Altemeyer because I've talked about the original version of this book on the show a whole lot. And I'm surprised it's still not that well known. And they actually talk about that in the book too, that the the research behind this book dates back like four decades. And it's so relevant to what's happening right now. And no one ever talks about this book and the science behind it. And the original book was called The Authoritarians. Uh, It was written by Bob Altemeyer. He was a professor at the University of Manitoba. And back when George W. Bush was in office, political commentator John Dean was working on a book about why people still followed George Bush and supported him because he was an obvious fucking war criminal by that point. And in researching that book, he came across this work by Bob Altemeyer, who had spent most of his career studying authoritarian personalities. And it was just still research at that point. John Dean reached out and was like, you should put that in a fucking book and put it out. It'll be huge. And he did. And the book wasn't huge. You can still download it for free on theauthoritarians.org. But it's super interesting because if you've ever known or argued with a Trump supporter, you will recognize them in this book. But this book was written, it wasn't written as a response to Trump supporters. We didn't know what Trump supporters were at this time. Hmm. But the book describes them fucking perfectly. Yeah, and I think it's important to... To note that there are two ty- two groups um, of authoritarians, the authoritarian leaders and the followers, the authoritarian right. followers, and both are in that group. One needs the other. Yeah. And Same. I would argue that Donald Trump grew up in an authoritarian household. You think? His, yeah. His, that's, I mean, his dad was that authoritarian leader, and he ruled over that fucking family. And- one of the the traits of an authoritarian leader is that they demand total loyalty from everyone around them. And if you don't give them that, you're fucked. And that was Fred Trump, 100%. I mean, he he essentially tried to execute his own son emotionally. He did execute his own son emotionally. When his son finally reached out for help with his alcoholism, Fred Trump was like, just think it away, boy. That's what I do. And then he left. And that dude died like, a year later from alcoholism alone. He died yeah. alone. In yeah, a his last job with Trump management was overseeing a maintenance crew. Like he made that kid work maintenance you instead know, of just giving him the fucking money. He was probably entitled to. Yeah. Do you know where Donald was when Freddie died? He was watching a movie at a theater. Yep. Oh, what movie? I don't know. Yeah, it was 81. Maybe it was the like, secret. No, no, it was, it was 81. Lost, it won it the was secret. Probably Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back. Now that was 82, right? That was 80. 80? Mm. Yeah. And then 83 was Return of the Jedi. But this book, there's a new version of it now because none of it, none of the original version obviously addresses Trump because he wasn't a thing at the time. And this version, it's called Authoritarian Nightmare. It's written by John Dean and Bob Altemeyer both. And it incorporates all the research and details about authoritarian followers, but it also examines Trump's time in office under that same lens and it's fucking fascinating so it's like a real time thing going on like when you read this book like we're living it so we're getting the authoritarian information but we're getting to actually experience it in real time well that's what's so fascinating about both of these books is they both just came out so they both talk about black lives matter protests and COVID 19 In both cases, they were like, once COVID-19 started and we saw how Trump responded to that, we had to write this book. Like the author, uh, like Mary Trump says that, and these two 
say that in this book. Well, because now both it's, books address that a whole lot. Because it's like people dying overseas, like, yeah, Americans don't see that in person. But when you see the casualties that happened with COVID, like my sister was working in the Bronx as a physician, and it was just, it was overwhelming. It was literally like being in a war. And, you know, I mean, I knew someone, I knew people in their 20s and 30s who died in the Bronx from this, and it didn't have to happen. So, yeah, he, the blood is kind of on his hands. And when I say kind of, I mean it is on his hands. It's super duper on his hands. And they, especially in this book, hit on that point a lot. But also they use his response to COVID-19 to show all of his authoritarian aspects as a leader. And they make a very convincing point for him being an authoritarian leader. But I think we all already kind of see him that way. Like, if you don't, you're a Trump supporter, probably. Like anyone else, it's really well, clear. Yeah, what nobody's he is. gonna be like, Yes, of course I am uh easily uh tricked. Of course I'm a rube. Like yeah, nobody's gonna say that. People don't take pride in being a follower. That's not a compliment. Yeah, it, it's sort of like whenever people are like super stoked on Joe Rogan and this is like, Oh, because you're super dumb and you wanna seem smart and they're like, No, 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 no. But it's <laughs> but yes. yeah, but one hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, the the real interesting stuff in this book comes when they talk about the traits of authoritarian followers. Uh, This is a quote from the book. It is the supporters, the people trying to escape from freedom, who seem unfathomable. And I would agree with that. Like, I think that's been everyone's question this whole time is why do people support this guy? It takes a lot less effort to adopt a boilerplate of ethics instead of being a critical thinker and having to assess every situation independently. It's easy to it's it's childlike to sort of turn over your power to someone and they'll take care of it. So these the type of people that buy into this shit are the people who are driven by fear and who look for a leader to just sort of be their savior, their fix, so to speak like these they fucking follow trump so hard because he's like a god to them that's their that's their prophet their savior that's the guy that's going to take them to the promised land and if any evidence disrupts that whether it's backed by evidence or not it disrupts their worldview and that can be devastating to them so that's maybe why they hold on to this by the skin of their teeth you know yeah and they they are really holding on like I know we all probably feel like Donald Trump's follow, like he's just imploding right now and he's in terrible shape in terms of approval rating. But no, his approval rating has been 41 to 45 percent the entire time he's been president. As of right now, it's 42 percent. And as pointed out in the book, no previous president in the history of public polling has enjoyed such consistently solid backing, which is well, kind of terrifying. It's I mean, wild, it's because you can do whatever you want. When he said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it, he was right. Yeah. And that's, he's, that's being proven right now. And so so this book argues that most of those people, he's, his base is around 50 million people, if you crunch the numbers. And this book argues that most of those people are very likely to have authoritarian personalities. And there are two types of authoritarians, social dominators, which are people who believe in inequality between groups, almost unanimously agree that the group they're a part of should be the most powerful group. Trump is obviously that. But a lot of his followers are that also. And then there's authoritarian followers who are submissive, fearful, and longing for a leader who will protect them from life's threats. They are highly self-righteous and ethnocentric. White evangelicals fall into this category, if you can believe that. It's a us against the world type of mentality instead of us with the world. It's like sort of a separation where the... There's like an idea of being chosen or special. Yeah, it's even past that where it's not even against. It's us on top of the world Mm. where it's like we 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 should own the world. We should 100 percent be the ones in charge. Yeah, this book has a whole chapter dedicated to trying to explain why evangelicals would care about Trump or why they got behind Trump. And I don't Fizza, were you on the episode where we talked about the Trump prophecy? Yes. Yes. That. I think that movie, which is based on actual events, I think that as much as anything explains why evangelicals finally got on board with Trump. And it was because one guy was watching TV and got a fucking vision from God that Trump was supposed to be our next president. 
And as luck would have it, his wife was an evangelical organizer. That was her job, was to connect evangelical groups together. And she put together this daily prayer call where people would just get on the phone every day and pray for Trump to be president. And by the end of the campaign, that call was had like 145,000 people a day on it. Look, so those are all people who, if, I mean, if you're praying about it, you're very likely to vote. A lot of people who oh, yeah. have opinions don't always vote. But like if you're fucking praying about it, I mean, like you're an active, you're going to be an active voter. You're going to take your ass to the polling station or whatever. I'm going to open with the fact that I do not support eugenics at all. <laughs> Thank you. I, mean, I want this. Im- I want this to be very str- very clear because I'm about to say something that seems like it supports eugenics, but all of those people that did that should probably be dead and never have kids because they are the stupidest people on the planet and they and, should not be allowed to procreate. And they do the most. Yeah, they absolutely yeah. do. The amount of stuff that's been done for a god that doesn't exist is fucking bananas and they will sell out their own god. They will sell out their own God. That's fucking crazy to me. Somebody believes in God that much and is so quickly to ignore everything that that God supposedly said. Well, the, it's, the, it's so the authoritarian bananas. followers are the ones that drink this Kool Aid. The the dominators don't necessarily believe in what they're spouting. It's just a means to an end to get their people to do whatever the fuck they want. I mean, the Republicans yeah. made uh, made a decision to court these people. To use religion as like, what you, do you think a lot of these guys high up in high up positions give a shit about religion or ethics or God? Well, let's let's run through some of the traits of social dominators as listed in this book. This is a little long, but I'm going to go through them all. Men, typically, uh, they oppose equality. They're dominating, amoral, have a desire for personal power. They are manipulative and cheat to win, mean-spirited nationalistic, takes advantage of suckers, will pretend to be religious if they are not genuinely so, faintly hedonistic, pitiless, intimidating and bullying, vengeful, dishonest, racist, sexist, homophobic, militant, tells others what they want to hear, specializes in creating false images to sell themselves, and usually politically and economically conservative. Sound like anybody you know? Yeah, that's that's the thing. Being in Hollywood, it's like, I mean, if you work in Hollywood or politics or finance, like these are people's bosses, rich people or people who think they deserve to be rich and that brown people are keeping them from it. Well, because they already have the power and you don't want to. It's like, you know, it, it wouldn't be ideal for them to lose that power over other people. Right. And what's crazy ideal for is, them. Right. What's crazy is Trump probably picked up this demographic almost by accident. What they they talk about in this book is, for one, he's terrible at reading off a teleprompter. And that becomes a problem twice in this book. <laughs> but when he that first campaign announcement speech where he comes down that escalator, a uh, really famous <laughs> moment, his speech that day was supposed to be like eight minutes long. And instead, it was 42 minutes long. So he went way, way, way off script. He was given and a sermon. Yeah, and what what they point out in this book is when that speech first started, he's kind of sticking to the script and like he's getting a smattering of applause. And then he delivers the line, the United States has become a dumping ground for everyone else's problems. And one person in the crowd shouts in agreement like the guy at the beginning of The Man Who Sold the World on the Nirvana Unplugged album, the one guy who recognized that song. This one guy in the crowd shouts out and Trump like is kind of startled by it and says, thank you. And he gets a bunch of applause at that point. And that's when he goes off script and delivers that line about how Mexico is sending drugs and rapists and crime here. And the way they put it in the book is basically in that moment, Trump liberated social dominators as surely as Betty Friedan liberated women in the 1960s Woof. he opened the floodgates on public racism that had been damned in america for decades this was one of the most exciting moments many social dominators had in their adult lives their epiphany and i kind of believe that yeah. because no, you're when- not wrong yeah they didn't think racism was going to be validated ever again yeah publicly. nobody was 
people weren't throwing acid into the public pool because it got integrated anymore. People weren't going that far out of their way. I mean, cops were still doing that, but, you know, we respect sure. them. <laughs> like, there was, yeah. it's, it's, it's the boys in blue. You got to back the boys in blue. Yeah. It's just one of those back th- the boys at blow. <laughs> it's like one of those things that we are told we have to do. Yeah, which no, you don't. I mean, exactly. do. I don't. I don't. I. Yeah. You know. Well, that's the benefit of critical thinking. Like I, I don't. I don't have to back the boys in blue. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. A you're, lot of other people like to survive might have to. Yeah, I grew so, up in the south, so like my family lives in Florida, and they're surrounded by people who support Trump, and some of those people support him just because he's Republican, and others are really big fans. So it's just like he says, it seems like these people are normal, you know. It seems like they're normal, but if you support Trump, it's like, well, what's going on? Like, is it just you're okay with racism and xenophobia? Like, it, it's not yes. your problem. Yeah, That's for exactly at least, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, at least in terms of the followers we're talking about here, yeah, they are they are fine with that. Let Let's talk about the traits of authoritarian followers, which is the second group after social dominators. Social dominators want to control. Authoritarian followers want to submit to control, mm, provided control. the person that they like is in charge. Like once they have their leader pinned down, they just they are loyal to that leader no matter what. Because mentally it feels like they got it figured out. Now we don't have to think any further. This guy's going to solve our problems. It's sort of smooth sailing. And mm. it, it meant, you know, like that's the state of mind, whether evidence you know, supports that or not. Decide for me, daddy. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's confirmation bias. It's they've been taught one set of beliefs. They don't want those beliefs challenged. And once someone comes along and they perceive them to share those same beliefs, beliefs, they're off to the fucking races. That's all they need. They usually show three characteristics, high degree of submission to the perceived established legitimate authorities in society, high levels of aggression in the name of their authorities, high level of conventionalism, insisting that others follow the norms endorsed by their authorities. And they're often called right-wing authoritarians, but that's not what it means. It, they're not talking about right wing as we know it in this country. In this case, right just means lawful or proper or correct. And that's an important distinction because the people we're talking about here do exist on the left also. Like any like any political ideology can be abused uh, to an extreme that hurts a lot of people. And Because then it becomes dogma. Right. And there just hasn't been a leader like that on the left. Like there hasn't been a Trump of the left yet but it's something that could absolutely happen Maybe the closest would be like an fdr maybe because you know, he was using the media in a way that people hadn't really done before with the fireside chats and everything but was it um what was the intention behind it was it to yeah. well he was you know in, in introducing like the tva and everything like that it like against against what you would say the will of of the people i guess that would but be i, a, I don't I don't think he had that crazy fervent following that Trump has now. Like, I don't think FDR supporters were considered a different class of Americans or a separate group of Americans. You just all had. No, but I mean, he got that. He got the third term like he he wasn't. No, I get that. But there there were pictures. I mean, he was. Well, I mean, Kennedy, I guess, might have had that. But I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, Um, yeah. but like the, the photo on the wall, you know, like there yeah. used to be like, you know, we have a photo of Jesus Christ and then a photo of, of FDR or a photo of, of eventually JFK. But Dude. I would say the closest on the left would be FDR to that. So he was like, would you describe FDR as a bad guy? Cause most people would say Trump's like a bad guy. I don't even love the term good or bad, but just, I would say if, if you believe in small government, Yes. If you if you believe in small government, FDR is a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's perspective. You know, yeah. there's not uh, morality is not objective, unfortunately. Yes. There, so I guess in a way, some people could see it that way. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know if his suck. followers had that same militancy and like to be this kind of follower, you have to have all of this. Well, I mean, like, sure. It's not, like, it's not just I. I respect that person and I follow him. Like I think it's it's what? and also FDR wasn't working toward bad. Like he wasn't 
Well, that's the thing, too. It's what are you inspiring your followers to do? Yeah, uh, right. And you can have that sort of fan base that might be equal in their fervor, but what the results of that fervor are are drastically different. And some of them end up in murder on the streets, and that's not FDR. Right. Yeah. The Again, the response to COVID-19 is a really good example of Trump's authoritarian followers just submitting to whatever he says. Like when you have it in your mind that this fucking former reality TV star, this failed businessman who's gone bankrupt five times, who gets all his fucking money from Russia and has since the 90s. Once you get it in your head that that guy can give you better medical advice than actual doctors, like you're pretty far gone. Yeah. You have to admit this is you like this is you 100 percent. Yeah, oh, I mean, absolutely. There's no way that the 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 fact that the the QAnon stuff and the hoax stuff, the the COVID hoax stuff, it really does sort of like once you see people start believing that you're just like, oh, you're you're gone. You're like, you're gone. And I don't know, you'd have to get those people that rescue people from cults, you know, the, the yeah. D, um, to programmers. Yeah. yeah. Like, like you'd need that to sort of break people away from this level of authoritarian worship. You know, I think a lot of authoritarians operate cult leaders. It's sort of like a smaller m micro version of authoritarianism. It's like cult leadership at a government level. Yeah. And the the last thing I want to talk about is something that comes up in this book, which is arguing with Trump supporters. <laughs> um, if you've ever done it, you have to know it is a futile fucking thing to do. Because there is there, absolutely no point. No consider. There's no logic and reason are is not ammo in those conversations. Right. These are a few of the traits that right-wing authoritarian types tend to display. And again, this is all based on science and experiments and studies that have been conducted over the course of 40-plus years. So people who identify as a right-wing authoritarian, they have highly compartmentalized thinking. So people who say, oh, I love living in the United States because we have freedom of speech— but also, if you say you hate the United States, you should get out of here. Like, that's compartmentalized thinking. Like, to them, saying that's not a conflict. Cog because Cognitive dissonance. There's a lot of dissonance right. in these brains. They have a high use of double standards, like how they will forgive the police for shooting an unarmed black person and then turn around and say, well, that unarmed black person probably did something. Like, I think I heard they were suspected of a robbery or something. So, I mean, they shouldn't have broken the law if they didn't want that to happen. And it's like the cop broke the law. Like, you don't shoot people. Like, you just don't shoot people. Like, not just not for that. Or, like, Trump has broken the law very clearly several times. And no one gives a shit. But when it comes to immigration and things like that, they're very by the book and very much, well, law, laws are laws. You broke the law, so you have to be punished. But when their authority figures are breaking the law, they don't give a shit. Uh, belief in several conflicting or contradictory ideas, kind of the same thing. Trouble determining what is and is not sound evidence. Uh, often unpersuaded by conclusive evidence when they don't like the conclusion. And I think we've seen a whole lot of that with Trump supporters. Well, they cherry pick what's convenient to support their narrative. They're stupid and stupid allows evil. Sorry, I hate to say it out loud, but like. Even their smart people are really fucking stupid or they're they're either dumb, smart people like that fucking kid that lives in Orange County. I keep, I keep forgetting his name because it's not important. Or they're people that are manipulative like Ben Shapiro. Like those are the two kinds of smart people in that camp. I mean, yeah, I can't even say that Ben Shapiro is smart because he thinks it's odd when a vagina gets wet. I mean, like, yeah, Ben Shapiro's a fucking idiot, too. I mean, he's smart at what he does he just yeah. is a he's a fucking little manipulative creep or like somebody like a tucker carlson yeah and i think that you can bring that back to compartmentalization where you can be intelligent in an area and just completely like not even born in another right they're also decidedly prejudiced we know that highly dogmatic 
And that tends to be because their system of beliefs are built on what the authority figures in their lives have told them. And the example they give in the book is a lot of people who grow up religious, at some point they start questioning that faith and they'll go out and do their own research and come to their own conclusions. And maybe they'll arrive back at that faith and maybe they won't. What these people do in that situation is they go to their religious leaders and say, why am I having, having this question of faith? And, of course, the religious leader tells them, you know, yeah. gets them back on track. Let me tell you the because story Because those are the only Job. opinions they trust. Yeah. yeah. So there's, it's, like, no trust in themselves. It's always like, okay, I don't – maybe it's a lack of courage or it's fear – which is the same thing, but like it's, it's like, also easier. I, yeah, it's, it's it's easier, and it's like, oh, I need a parent to fix this shit for me. I'm not an adult. Yeah, I was when I lived in South Dakota. I was having a conversation with a guy around the time Bush. I think when Bush was running for re-election, and I was like, just fucking going off about Bush, and he was like, yeah, man, I agree, this shit's crazy, and I was like, so who are you voting for? And he was like, well, my family's always voted Republican, so I have to vote for George Bush, and it's like. Those people exist, which is insane. My dad's a hardline right wing person and I bought in like early, you know, I got it. And who knows where I would have ended up. I think I would have ended up like a, a hardcore centrist if I had stayed back there, like being like just just left enough to be like, well, I'm going to vote for a Kennedy, but like not really care yeah. what's going on. Yeah, that's what's well, the easy way to be. And that's like, that's sort of scary, though, that there are environments that, you know, it's it's not easy to question beliefs and to be your own person. So it's like you're you're sort of like this factories for creating ignorance in society. Right. And the the last trait is one we've mentioned earlier, highly ethnocentric. They use a fascinating example in the book to explain this. Does anyone here know how the idea of building a wall came to be? I believe the uh, Mongols were invading China. And it was like you a big... know what I mean, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid bitch. Oh my god, um, I I read it, but I can't remember. Basically, Trump has a lot of problems reading off a teleprompter, and when he was giving speeches early on in his campaign, he kept forgetting to bring up immigration. So. What his advisors told him was to picture a border wall in the back of the room, and that will remind you that at some point you need to talk about immigration. And he did that and then got so flustered by what was on the teleprompter, he just blurted out, and we're going to build a wall? And at that moment, these fucking followers of his were all like, yeah, we've wanted a wall built for a long time. Finally, it was another someone's going to build a wall. And it was like no one had brought that issue up in fucking years and years and years. And Trump just blurts it out on accident. And because it rallied up that base, he was like, fuck it. Let's do it. Whatever keeps them happy. It's fucking crazy. Isn't it? It, it, it's, it's, it really is an example of somebody like that's something from a movie that you make such a gaffe and that gaffe becomes your fucking your rally cry. Build that wall. Your literal rally cry is you fucking up because you're a fucking idiot. I mean, yeah. they made the mistake to give him like a figurative visual reference. <laughs> he just was like, a wall. Yeah. Why not just say picture a bunch of Mexican people back there? Because, you know, there's not a ton in the crowd, at least not at that time. Or maybe there were. I don't know. <sighs> fucking <sighs> man. But people should read this book. People should read all of these books. What you don't have to read The Science of Getting Rich. I got you covered. Don't fuck with ghosts. They ain't going to help yeah. you. Leave ghosts alone and you'll get rich. Be selfish. Ignore ghosts. <laughs> but Those read the-, the Mary Trump book and read Authoritarian Nightmare. They're both very enlightening and will tell you a whole lot about Trump that you probably don't know right now. And uh, I think that's our episode, right? Yeah. I think so. I mean, I get I get to decide. I'm the authoritarian leader here. <laughs> So it's End up me, to Daddy. Me when the episode ends, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll link to all of these books on unpops.com. I mean, you can also Google and find them. They're not, Don't be it's, fucking, not yeah. it's not secret knowledge. Don't be an idiot. Just fucking look it up. Go on Audible. Uh, what do we have 
to plug before we get out of here. I'll tell you one thing we got to plug. TGI 9-11, our first Zoom comedy show happening Friday, September 11th. Jeff is hosting. Fizz is going to be on it. Uh, who else Woo. is on it? Anna Valenzuela is on it. Andy. Liz Mealy is on Andy it. Andy Peters. Carey. Andy Peters. That is a, what a fucking lineup. That's a brutal lineup, bro. And I'm going to be on the sidelines trying to figure out how to make all that shit work. It's about time. Cancel your 9-11 plans, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Your evening cookouts are canceled. You are going to be watching a live Zoom show hosted by just me. <laughs> just you. Just me. Lineup like has it's changed. Always, but- like, like it's always it been. It certainly I don't know has. Nothing is different. Nothing at all has I mean, changed. All Jeff has to do is not get off stage. Oh, well, you're doing tech, though, so you could always like just switch to another comic. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I don't. But I am, I am ho- solo hosting, and that is how it's always been. And uh, there are zero changes that have been made. Yeah. Just putting that out there. I don't know what anyone's talking about. So uh, check that out. Also, uh, unpops.com slash shop. Buy some fucking shirts for your body. Get yourself a and, shirt. Uh, I mean, it doesn't even have to be too. for your body. Just buy them. Put them, around, put them around your head. Frame it. Put it on Frame the wall it. like a signed jersey. Fucking buy a bunch and burn one on Instagram every time I say something that makes you mad. Like a flag. Yeah. 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 Do that. Steamroll it and pile up other disco albums. Fizzo, <laughs> what do you have to plug? Um. Well... I would love for people to check out my comedy online. Um, So uh, the best place would be YouTube or Instagram um, and my IG links to my YouTube. So um, that's at Fizza Dasani. And then I have a weekly podcast myself called Facial Recognition Comedy, which I co-host with um, two other Women of South Asian descent, comedians of South Asian descent, and we're not the same person. Mm, yeah, mm, eh, I guess. I mean, look, like, you I'll take your word this, for like, it. <laughs> that's it. I've never that's seen my... you all in the same room. I probably have. It's like I think that's actually the point: is they're all in the same room. <laughs> we're all in the same room, and you just thought it was—you just saw us one at a time. Well, I know the Voices. the crew is very talented. You're all very funny. Cool. So good for you. Thank you. Put me on that show. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Who you should that? do. You need a South actually, Indian woman? You need a woman of South Indian descent? Well, anyone can be on the podcast. It's just one of us or all of us are hosting. But yeah, we should get you guys on. We should do a <laughs> Unpops so, crossover. It'd be so funny. It's women of South Asian descent and then two fucking white guys being like, hey, Dr. Pepper. I mean, <laughs> Dr. Pepper's fine, but the A, I don't know. Hey. Hey. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, we should have you guys on. It'd be fun. To promote our 9-11 show. And I'm on the 9-11 show as well, which is being hosted by Jeff, only Jeff. Only Jeff. Only Jeff. No other people were or are hosting. Jeff, what do you want to play? Oh, geez. I've got a bunch of fucking shows, man. You can check out You Don't Even Like Sports, the sports podcast for people that don't like sports, available on- You don't even like sports. You don't even like sports. Fizzy, you don't even like sports. I don't like sports. Uh, See? How dare you? Uh, you can check that out uh, through Unpop's uh, Unpopular Opinion dot gov if you want to find it specifically. Um, Sideshow Sideshow is every other Tuesday. I recently had my man Alex Schmidt on as a guest, and we go deep into how the fuck he got onto Jeopardy and won a whole bunch. So that's really fun. Also, Tom and Jeff watch Batman on Gamefully Unemployed. I have a lot of other stuff that I'm on, so just follow me on the internet. You can find me on social media, except Facebook. Leave that alone. That's how I talk to my mom. Don't find me there. Don't. Yeah. Leave, everyone leave Facebook. Why alone. are you using Facebook still? Do you have grandchildren? I yeah. have my, I have somebody that has grandchildren, and that's how we stay in contact. A friend of mine texted me the other day, much younger than me, and was like, hey, I have a new Facebook. I added you. I was like, <laughs> cool. I haven't yeah. used Facebook in two years. Yeah, okay, okay, Meme. We'll get right on it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you say, Meemaw. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Fizza, say goodbye. Bye, y'all. Jeff, say goodbye. Sure. Bye. See you later. Oh, wow. No rookie cards. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Bye. Bristol Street, bring a blood object to Bristol Street, I'm not